Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. July is upon us, the traditional month where not much goes on the pitch compared to Offit. We only finished the 22-23 season last week as the under-21s ended their Euro 2023 campaign at the semi-finals stage. And most UPL and PFL sides are already into their second week of pre-season for the 23-24 season. Nonetheless, there is plenty to get through in today's episode. We'll debrief the aforementioned historic Euro campaign, talk about the Olympics and discuss heaps on managerial changes and transfers. Good friend of the pod, Dimitro Jalak, is here with us for this one, as quite frankly, nobody better to talk about Zabina's youth sides with, plus countless other topics. Welcome to Ukraine Plus Football. Dimitro, it's great to have you back with us again. I hope you've been keeping well. And what a fantastic campaign it's been for Rotan's boys over there in Romania. Absolutely. Look, before Andrew went there, I texted him and said, I hope they would get out of the group. That would be my personal hope as a fan. And when they got to the quarterfinals, everything from there is a bonus. And going to Olympics for the first time ever is a huge bonus. I understand that some people took 5-1 result in the semifinal to close to heart. But for me, really, the only major complaint from that game was that Alex Boyena came off the pitch on his own two feet. That was the only failure from our side, I'd say. So who stood out for you during the campaign in particular? I'd say it's been, you know, that's good mix of uh, a manager doing his uh, thing and players understanding the ideas and implementing those ideas on the pitch. Because, of course, we have to talk about the whole campaign, the qualifiers, when they had France in the group and got beaten heavily in that very first game against France. And then they were just one goal away from actually avoiding the playoff and going straight into the finals. But uh, they drew with France. And they did it against Slovakia and then those games against Romania and Croatia when you saw that the team implemented the idea they wanted to, which is very important. It, it, it's, of course, a great experience, competitive experience for them. I keep on saying that for years now. Any category, on the 17th, on the 19th, on the 20s. And it's really interesting because we've got on the 19 European Championship title and on the 20 World Cup title. And our teams did not really get into the finals of those tournaments that much. So it is an achievement in itself. But for any generation, for this one specifically, it's hugely important to be there, to compete with these guys, to compete with those sides like France, like Spain. And we'll, we'll just see what we have uh, in France uh, next year. But that's going to be another important tournament for them. 
Definitely will be. I'd like to get your opinion on one thing here, because whilst I was watching a number of the games on online from, from over here in Luxembourg, get picking up different feeds, a lot of the commentators were discussing the amount of experience the Ukrainian team had had and a lot of the players um, with the national team, with the under-21s and in the Champions League themselves, thinking of the likes of Sudakov, Wondarenko and the rest of the Shakhtar contingent. You know, do you think that was this exposure to senior football and the higher level football that the Ukrainian team had had was one of the things that sort of guided their success in this tournament. Yeah, definitely. But just look at England, who won the tournament. Look at the players and the seasons they had. Oregon Gibbs White, the whole season, one of the best players in Nottingham Forest in the Premier League. So, of course, it does help, obviously. And uh, like I said before, for us, it was only like third tournament ever at this level. And we were in the final in 2006, didn't make it out of the group in, in 2011. A very good squad, actually, with the players who went on to represent uh, Ukraine uh, for years with the national side. Uh, so, yeah, these guys, especially Shakhtar guys, they had a very good European campaign. Again, there was a 7-1, so people probably <laughs> would talk too much about it. There were so many other games. And of course, we have Mudrik who already plays for the national team and, uh, and other players as well. And, and there will be plenty of them actually can make that step higher up and, and play for the national team in the well in this cycle already, but especially for the uh, 2026 World Cup. Yeah, definitely so, definitely so. And Andrew, you were out there, obviously, providing excellent coverage for us all. Over the over the weeks, and what a fantastic experience it must have been for yourself inside the stadium. You know, which players really stood out to you during the the last few weeks? Well, I think we spoke about it in the last pod. Uh, Jorge Sudakov, for me, uh, is probably Ukrainian Player of the Year in terms of the twenty two twenty three season. Personally, uh, I think just the kind of impact he's had for the national team. Um, you know, even in that quite poor match against England back in March, he was outstanding. Then he's come in to sort of become a starter for Abrov's early few matches as well. Was the standout player for Zbirna, uh in the Rotans team too. And, you know, for Shakhtar, he's been highly influential as well. So Still, there's no real rumours of him planning on going anywhere or anything like that, being linked with any particular side. You know, there's been the chat about Chelsea and, all, you know, just that's been more tongue in cheek. Let's see what happens. I don't think I've got a feeling they probably won't go anywhere this summer, but there will be heightened talk about, you know, him moving to somewhere big uh, from January transfer window onwards, especially if he puts in a good shift in the Champions League. And uh, other than him, of course, I think uh, Bondarenko had a great tournament, sort of an, an assured performance in the centre of the park. Um, he's he's one of these very dysfunctional-looking players because he's quite tall, um, but he's got a bit of pace about him, quite good when it comes to being on the ball, a bit of strength there to, to sort it out. Didn't have the best semi-final, uh, mind you, after he scored that goal. I think there was a few sort of lapses in concentration in terms of passing and all that kind of stuff. 
ultimately, if we just talk about that semi-final where some of the performances were subpar per se, I think that was more down to just fatigue and the fact that these players really don't have the experience of playing so regularly or consecutively in such a small amount of time. And at the stage of the season that it was in for for the majority of them, it sort of all hit the fan. And uh, Dimitro mentioned the final match. For me, this semi-final reminded me a lot of that, to be honest. It was literally Spain shooting and everything that they took went in. Oh, albeit there were a couple of, you could say, unforced errors with a bit of sloppy passing, bit of sloppy defensive play. But, you know, those are the kind of things that you need to do um, if you want to try and play the kind of football that Rotain has. And I feel that whilst most of the players are probably of the quality to be able to carry it out, some of them maybe not to the level. Hence why, it you know, it eventually petered out against Spain. But anyway, regardless of that, great performance overall from everyone. In my opinion, I think that the centre-forward position was probably maybe the weak point for me in terms of where I'm seeing the future in terms of like the future generate in terms of, you know, Sikhan, Vunik and Vanat. Yes, there's a potential that they could become sort of stalwarts in the Zbirna team going forward, but I just don't think they're at that top, top quality level where I'd see them going maybe to a top five club or something like that we, we'll see we'll see what happens from there but you know it, it's it that's the kind of uh the weak spot and we'll come on to the Trubin in a moment but I think the other two that I think that certainly need shouts out shout outs Talovyarov I think part of the semi-final we had a great campaign been linked to the Bundesliga um I think Slavia might be interested in seeing him for a bit at least in pre-season maybe they might keep him there Oleksii Sitch <laughs> is um there's been rumors that he might be returning to Ruch after his loan at Courtstrike finished but as far as I'm aware I think they're looking for him to have another loan or or something like that in Europe somewhere um so fingers crossed that that ends up being a decent enough club because he actually was one of the standout performers for me as well in terms of maybe the players that people might not have known too well before going into it. Um, and then we've seen the likes of Viv Cherenko, had a great tournament, been playing well for Dynamo Kiev. Porto, apparently linked with him. Who knows whether that's ever going to sort of come to fruition. And of course, uh, a player that maybe didn't feature that much, but made an impression. Um, Nazarenkov, the bench, had a number of very good cameos. And he's been, apparently, he's going to be joining Polisia in January. So that's sort of one of those free agent moves that he can sort of make with a pre-contract, etc. Will, as a result of that, will Dnipro one maybe punish him? You know, as we've seen many Ukrainian clubs do um, when players have got sort of moves beforehand, we'll see. But for me, just like Dmitros says, the future looks bright. I think a lot of these players will get chances in the senior uh, national team at some point in the future, some uh, more quickly than others. But overall, um, in general, I think there's there, there can't be too many complaints from what Rotan's team did and sort of the expectations pre-tournament where I think a lot of people were unconvinced in Rotan 
as a manager. You know, we've seen some of that. The, the qualifying campaign wasn't the best, um, but he has been trying to sort of implement the kind of playing style that he wants. And, you know, when it when it worked, when it sort of was pulled off against Croatia, against Romania, against France, even slight adaptation really in that game uh, to it. But, you know, it looks really good. And let's see whether he will be able to maybe try and do something like that at Alexandria. But I had, I had a few chats with some uh, journalists out there and we were thinking maybe Rotania is the kind of manager who needs potentially to be working with higher quality individuals. And, you know, that sort of works together with the kind of playing style that he wants because you know if you want to be starting up build up play from the back you need good passes and good technical footballers you know not just ones so um I'm not 100% sure with regards to sort of the future but like we say um overall a very good tournament yeah, definitely so I mean Ray first of all good to see you again hope you've been keeping well uh did this technical quality of football that we saw on show surprise you, <laughs> given where we were sort of going into the tournament a few weeks ago? Second question for you. Do you agree with Andrew that the centre-forward position that is perhaps the biggest concern or the weakest area from this upcoming generation? And there is a final one, but I'll follow up with it afterwards. Okay. Hi, guys. Good to see you again. Uh, plenty of questions to start with, <laughs> given the fact that I I wasn't nowhere near these uh, teams' performance these days. But I can only judge by the overall effect of the outcome it all uh, had on us, right? Uh, I was not I was not um, surprised by the uh, by the performance because. These guys, they had uh, it in them uh, even during the qualification. Like they played uh, against uh, Slovakia, I believe that it was last year, and that was a good match. That was, I still remember that, and it was a quality display. And so you could tell that they're gonna show something. So I'm not surprised. I'm good with this. The question now I've been asking myself is, how are they going to impact from it? How do? Uh, how are they going to benefit? Of course, times have changed. Like we just, you, Adam, brought up the 2006 squad. You mentioned that you barely know any of them, but there are some, there were some good prospects. And your question about for, uh, center forward reminds me, I don't remember Dovic playing for uh, youth teams. Was he any good? I don't know. But of course, he is now the main striker for the national team. But that leaves me with the, with the idea that was Milevsky the last center forward we had? Like a decent one? Like, of course, we could say Roman Zuzule, but he didn't score much. But the top goal scorer of the league back in the day, who was a star on the youth level in 2006, they reached the final. Was that the last guy we can mention as a center forward? Because obviously now we don't have to worry about it because we can, we can play the false nine, the false ten with Krisky or Sudakov, as Rotten did. No worries. It's, it worked out. And football is not about center forward these days anyway. Uh, neither it is about wingers anymore. The Mudrick performances, was it good to see him show those glimpses again that, you know, after the last six months in the EPL, concerns were raised? Do you think over his performances in the under-21s and in the national team, do you think he's starting to alleviate some of those concerns again 
or as, as Andrew has said, tongue in cheek, he just needs to play with Sudikov and everything will be okay. Well, I don't think Pochettino is going to solve that problem for him. He's not going to get Sudoku to Chelsea just for Mudrik's sake. So, uh, no, of course, that was a. I was afraid that they're going to play to Mudrik all the time. You know, he's going to. They're going to be dependent on him, especially when they considered that goal from uh, France. I was like, okay, we're done here. Mudrik is on the pitch. Let's see what happens. And it turned out well against my hopes. So, uh, I have no questions to him. Of course, we need to. Remember that it's completely different level in EPL and even national teams. So it's all up for grabs now, especially with the news that Pochettino is actually very concerned about the hundred million dollar signings, right? So there's no, there, there's not going to be any walk in the park for them. Now, one player we haven't discussed is Trubin, who's been in and out of the news all week. Good performance in general in the tournament, as as you said, though, Andrew. Um, the Spain game, a little bit reminiscent of the final game earlier in earlier in the year. What do you make of the potential move to Inter? And I, Demetra, then after that, I'll come to you. And how likely do you see it? It actually going ahead. I mean, it's. I'm not surprised by it. I mean, I was on a. Um, into sort of YouTube channel, into fan YouTube channel earlier this week. And, you know, when you actually weigh it up, he's had three seasons as more or less the first choice at Shakhtar. You could probably say two and a half if you want to be really accurate. But he's had plenty of experience in the Champions League. Ironically, his only three clean sheets in the Champions League have all come against Inter. So um, maybe that says something about their scouting system in terms of... Uh, Dynamo Kiev style. But anyway, uh, we, 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 he has had a great tournament. He pulled off some great saves, especially in the France game. Um, and then the Spain match was just one of those where nothing goes your way, really, where literally Spain had about three shots that were like sort of top corner. And I mean, most keepers aren't going to be getting to those, um, <laughs> relatively easily anyway. Uh, I think he's got a bit of sort of development um, room for certain room for improvement, 100%. Just needs maybe a bit of coaching, playing with maybe higher quality players. For example, you know, he's not bad with his feet, but he's nowhere near sort of levels of even Anana, um, who's currently into number one. So he needs, I guess, that move. Maybe you could say, you know, for a keeper their peak is not until later in their career. But I mean, you know, and we don't want a repeat of Lunin really, where he's going to be staying on the bench for four seasons at a top club, because that doesn't really benefit anyone. And especially at the moment, there's talk of Inter wanting to sign a more senior keeper uh, to replace Handanovic, like such as Sommer from uh, Bayern Munich or even Lloris from Spurs. Um, and then there's also the potential that those those keepers might be the ones that will be starting ahead of Trubin whilst he adapts to Serie A. Um, I don't know really where we stand. We've got to wait until Anana actually leaves for you for Man United, which seems to apparently to be close. And then the negotiation is going to be starting with, with Shakhtar, as we know, notorious uh, negotiators. However, the difference between this and the Mudrik deal 100% is the fact that Trubin has only got a year left on his contract. So if anything, it's kind of in Trubin's favour 
um, to be getting this move this summer um, and maybe not for the rumoured 35, 40 million euros. But um, I wonder what, what Dimitrov thinks regarding that. Well, you mentioned the negotiations and negotiators. And it's going to be a very interesting one indeed. Uh, because exactly that situation, he's got one year left on his contract. So if he goes now, they will want the money. And they will want what they want, not what Inter can offer. So it's going to be interesting. But another thing, really important thing that you mentioned, what is he going to do there? What is he going there for? Because if it's to be number two, or even three, I don't know, he can play for Shakhtar. He can play this season at least in the Champions League. He can get all the experience even more games under his belt in Europe. Because when Adam said, well, commentators were mentioning the experience, these commentators have no idea about Ukrainian league. They just don't know that we simply do not have that kind of pressure on players in those games. So when you have five, six, seven Champions League games and just three, four games for the national team. That's it. That's all you have all season. Oh, plus a couple of games probably in the league where it's really interesting and important that you, you feel that kind of pressure. So if he goes to Inter or any other club, it should be to play. Or at least to compete for a number one spot, realistically compete. Not like, okay, you're in a big club, but you're actually more on the bench and maybe you'll go to play on loan somewhere. And I don't think it's the perfect scenario for him or for any of those guys now. Whenever they go, any league, any club, they should go to compete for the sport in the starting eleven. And it also applies to Mudrik now with the new manager coming in and all that stuff. And it's not about it. I don't care what Pochettino likes or doesn't like. But that's his bloody job to do that. You've got a player. You, you, know, you didn't pay for him. The baseball guy paid those money. So okay, you do your job. And uh, look, first of all, I mean, just think about it. Even a few years ago, people were told, look, you'd be discussing under 21s. And uh, how many? Like three, four, maybe even five of them could be in the rather of the big clubs in Europe. <laughs> I'd probably be like, yeah, really. I mean, it is great to see, you know, we're, we're here talking about Ukrainian players being linked with these big clubs. So, well, what it takes me back to a conversation I had with uh, a well-known agent in the UK, Tony Sharkey. And, um, I mean, this is going back two years now, and he asked me to send a list of players who I thought would go. And all these guys that we're talking about tonight were on that list. And... I had I had the feeling they could do it, but now it's great to see them stepping up and actually doing it. You know, we've we'd had the conversations, Ray. You know, you all know our good friend Andre Birdian at Shakhtar, and he was telling me about Mudrik back in 2020, 2021, Sudakov being the next big thing, and here we are now discussing their potential transfers. Or in the case of Sudakov, the big team has been linked with him about a potential move. And, well, he's, as Andrew said, Ukraine's potential best player of the season, but still no interest in him. And we're surprised. So there's been this transformation just over the last few years from 
what the perception was then to what the expectation is now. And it's a great thing to see. We're going into our first Olympics next year, which is another huge thing to celebrate for a lot of people, as it is the first Olympics, even, you know, for myself as a Brit, we don't even get involved in the in the Olympics. I have no idea what the selection criteria is. Uh, Andrew, I hope you do, because I'm a little lost with how it works. All I remember is David Beckham or somebody stepping up as a 35-year-old to play in the underage tournament back in 2012. So I've got no clue. Over to you. So essentially the criteria for it is you have to be born on the 1st of January 2001 or later. Um, 18 man squad, as far as I'm aware, and I think it's a 16 team tournament. So, so far, nine teams have qualified and those teams are the Dominican Republic, Egypt, France as hosts, Israel, Mali, Morocco, Spain, Ukraine, of course, and United States. And then obviously five or seven more teams to sort of fill up those uh, remaining berths, which I think is to do with um, some in uh, AFCON potentially, CONMEBOL uh, and elsewhere. So that I think will be sorted out by next summer anyway. But very interesting because I think the main question that most people have on their list is who's going to play in this squad Rosando Tani is officially confirmed as the Olympic coach. So he's sort of continuing his reign. This will be, I guess, his last dance as a senior, well, as a national team coach for the time being anyway. But it means that there are a number of players in this current squad that obviously we had at the under-21s that won't be automatically uh, included. Obviously, the the squad uh, for this squad was 23 players. So obviously that's five less anyway that are going to be able to feature and then there's a load that are born before January the 1st 2001 including some of the stars Oleksii Kaschuk, uh, Artem Bondarenko, Dmitro Kriskyov, Alexander Nazarenko, uh, Rostislav Lyach, Alexander Sirota and Maxim Talioverov. So on top of that you're only allowed three players that are over the age of 23 or 23 and over uh, beyond that 2001. So the question is going to be, is Rotan going to call up the likes of someone like Yarmolenko for like a final swan song before some sort of a retirement? Or is he going to try and call up someone like Zankov, you know, to actually just bolster the chances of playing? Um, on top of the fact, I think that you'll probably try and call up three players from this squad um, and, you know, keep it sort of as a sort of, as they say, an internal an internal kitchen. However, another thing we all have to take into account is that the Olympics, other than maybe for Ukraine, for most it's seen as this sort of like Mickey Mouse <laughs> type of trophy thing. Um, and the question will be, will Chelsea allow Mihailo Mudrik, for example, to play in this tournament when it's going to be taking place in August, right at the start of the 24-25 season, are they going to allow him to feature in it? Especially after the fact that they're potentially, if Ukraine qualify for the Euros, the actual Euro 2024, 
he'll probably have played in that if they make it. And then as well, you know, add Sudakov to there. Who knows where he's going to be um, and the rest. So it's all <laughs> going to be very interesting to see who's actually eligible. I spoke to Sudakov um, after the France game, whether he, if he's given the call up, whether he'd want to play in it. And I think that a lot of them would, similar to what we saw this year, like Mudrik didn't have to go. Um, but by no stretch of the imagination, but he wanted to because he felt part of the collective. He started, you know, the qualifying campaign with the wall. He's sort of very good friends with the majority of them. And he sort of just loves football. And, you know, when there's a chance of a potential Olympic gold um, up for grabs or even, you know, silver or bronze, that's sort of like a once in a lifetime opportunity to take, um, despite how maybe in some other nations they take it a bit less seriously, albeit Brazil love it. Um, and so do others so we will see I think it's all up in the air for the time being um, I know that probably next year we'll start seeing random uh, under 23 friendly matches that Rotani will probably be undertaking against other under 23 teams or something like that but um, for now I think um, we've just sort of got to work out exactly who's going to end up playing and, and like we say we won't know until um next year can I, I'm going to be devil's advocate now Andrew Ilya Zabani's on the phone and says hi coach I quite fancy going to the Olympics I know I didn't play in the, the under 21 tournament but would you take him well I think the question is that he probably will because if Zabani was part of this squad in my opinion, it would have been even better at this under-21s. And maybe some of the mistakes we saw from, you know, some of the more uh, lower quality players, you know, just less of a level of Zabarni, that it would have been a different story. But I've got a feeling that he probably won't, to be honest, based on his attitude for this tournament, where he said, I don't want to go because he never had that connection. He never played for the under-21s ever He's now a senior player. He's most likely going to play at the Euros if Ukraine make it there. Also, so if Ukraine don't make the Euros, maybe that might have an impact on these players wanting to feature for the under-23s. You know, just have a tournament in a senior tournament, per se, under their uh, under their belts next year. So it's it's all up in the air. I've got a feeling that Zabani probably won't be, won't be sort of getting involved in that personally, just from from everything that we've seen sort of, especially if he's played as a good season at Bournemouth, maybe another move might be in the offing, etc. So he'll probably prioritise that over, over this. Which three overage players would you take? To be honest, I'd probably take Bondarenko. I think that's only fair. He was the under-21 captain. Kashuk, I think it will depend on his form, in all honesty. Um, I'd probably take Sehankov and uh, Yermolenko. Yermolenko just because I think that he deserves a bit of a send-off like that, even if he doesn't play. Uh, I think it's I think he, he he never played at a World Cup and I just feel it would be nice to sort of end his national team career, per se, at an Olympics. Uh, because he deserves it for the for everything that he'd done over his over his campaign, over his years. And even if he comes on as a sub or whatever, there. And Tankov because he's the main man at the moment. And I feel that he could get a few match winners. And those are the kind of positions you're going to have Mudrik on one wing and then 
the right wing position, you probably need two players there, uh, one or the other. Petra. Albeit, I don't think Sankov will <laughs> will be taking it uh, <laughs> or wanting to go there. Anyway. Right. You were not happy with one or two of those selections. No, I'm fine. They're all the green players and they have just they have made a distinctive impact to the to our football. But I mean, if we're talking about the players who deserve something, then let's call up Roman Zuzulia. Of all people, after what he has done and the reputation he's been keeping abroad, he deserves it. He's the man, right? Um, Konoplanka on the list. Well, that's and... a no-brainer. Rotan and Konoplanka. That I think that might even be sort of unwritten if he's not retired by then. <laughs> and Andri Piatov. Oh, I, I was waiting to hear of Piatov. Definitely not. Piatov <laughs> is not getting involved because he's actually retired now. I don't think he's going to be coming out of retirement again. Well, if we are talking about who deserves what, then Shevchenko abroad front would be a good striking part. Oh, I like that. <laughs> no, look, uh, I agree with Andrew on one thing. Out of those guys, like Bondarenko or aware of some has to be picked for that we'll see of course what happens because actually when we, when we talk if Ukraine makes it to Europe uh, to European Championship look we'll know in September two games against England and Italy we'll know we get no points in those games we, we know already so it makes it a bit easier to plan then but also it depends on where the players are and how their clubs will see it because if Sienko is still in Spain, I assume in Spain and participating, they will understand a bit more that if he wants to go and all that stuff. But generally, these guys who have been a huge part of the squad during the tournament, the qualifying tournament and the final tournament, they deserve to go. And then we just have to see what the situation is closer to the games. Because we, again, we can have injuries, whatever. So... But of course, yeah, that's something new. Only 18 players because it's Olympics, it's not a World Cup. Lots of people will be <laughs> going to those games. That's precisely why they have smaller squads and uh, just to be part of that. Uh, but obviously, we can see that some people in France already started celebrating that Olympic spirit and all that. And, it, and we just have to see what, what will happen uh, in terms of that as well. But otherwise, it, it is uh, everyone who went to the Olympics has such an amazing experience. All those players, big players, even footballists, not not only footballists, of course, because yeah, for other players like basketball players and handball and volleyball, it is a huge event. But even footballists who, like Neymar, badly wanted to go to the Olympics. He, he wanted it so much. He wanted to go and win it. And you would think, well, why would Neymar do it? And Messi won it in his career. And I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if Argentina qualified for the Olympics, if they would say, well, look, maybe you can come over from Miami and help us. He's going to get plenty of time off in Miami anyway, isn't he, over the next year? So it's not like he'll be up too much in the postseason. I digress. Let's move on to the managerial merry-go-round. And, uh, feels like the music stopped and people have jumped onto various seats. What's the, the present situation? I can't believe that I've read 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the, isn't the former Shakhtar manager, Luis Castro, going to be managing Cristiano Ronaldo in the forthcoming season? What has the world come to, Andrew? Yep, it's uh, all change everywhere at the top of the UPL, other than uh, at the Naval Cave. But um, Shakhtar, uh, they've got a new manager, um, Van Leeuwen has left Zoria, taken over the vacant spot Shakhtar after Ivicevic left the club. We still officially don't know the reasoning behind why Ivicevic left. Um, there's been sort of rumours in the Ukrainian media saying that it was due to the fact that Akhmetov made the decision straight after that final loss. And it was like, that's sort of an unforgivable result. Uh, I don't see sort of anything going on forward in terms of development etc despite winning the league and having very good rapport with the squad because I think all the players loved him like you see literally all the posts on Instagram or the stories that they that the majority of the players did it was like you know most people don't do something like that um, for managers but they had a real connection with him good guy is not a professional <laughs> uh, hey ho and uh, speaking of Jovicovic he is now the manager of Al Rayed in Saudi as well so he will be facing Luis Castro um, in the Pro League this season so that's you know Shakhtar managers going there whilst their players are going you know to the to the top five leagues but I mean Saudi's the new place to go so you know Whatever. <laughs> but Van Leeuwen, we've seen Patrick Van Leeuwen, he's done very well at Zoria in the season that he had there. Uh, played some really quite nice attacking football, sometimes chaotic in terms of just sort of free scoring for fun and also conceding for fun, which we saw in his opening uh, sort of debut uh, in the friendlies against AZ Alkmaar the other day. 3-3. Uh, Shakhtar went behind three times, pulled it back three times. So um, I'm sure we'll, that's not the last we'll be seeing a, of uh, scorelines like that, just knowing how his Zoria team uh, played last campaign. And uh just want to mention that Castillo, the new Ecuadorian central defensive midfielder, he made his debut for Shakhtar um, in that friendly looks quite good. I think he'll obviously maybe not be a stalwart starter, but with Stepanenko, you know, not being able to feature for the entire season all the time, he might be uh, utilised. And uh, another news from Shakhtar in terms of sort of transfers per se, they've not brought anyone in just yet, but the likes of Juracek have, has left. He joined uh, Aris in, in uh, Greece uh, Bogdan Mihailichenko been recalled, well, returned to Anderlecht. There was claims that potentially he might not be wanted by Anderlecht, but apparently he started pre-season with them and he might be under consideration to to play there. Personally, don't see the problem with him. I thought he was brilliant um, in the Champions League uh, group stages, you know, got some good assists, playing quite well. So maybe he might get a second chance in Belgium. Uh, and Manuel Solomon is apparently about to very close to a move to Spurs on a free, which uh, according to the Athletic and Serhii Palkin, uh, there will be discussions at the Spurs versus Shakhtar friendly in a few weeks um, over a potential fee or something. 
that you know uh, regarding that move because you know previously there was the threat that Palkin will be or Shakhtar will be suing uh, Spurs for taking him on and on top of that Tete he's not with the team in Rotterdam for their for their pre-season camp he's actually in Kiev playing amateur football on on the pitches of Obolonia somewhere uh so you know and he's also been very close to FC uh Uksa the uh, Ukrainian Christian sports academy that are making their debut in Drogheda I don't think he's going to be playing in Drogheda personally but mm. there is some sort of Thing going on there because his agent is heavily involved uh, and whether he will return to Shakhtar or something like that is currently unknown but seems unlikely with six months left on his contract potentially might something similar to what we've just seen with Solomon might happen and you know from FIFA's perspective probably no illegal moves detected if you know they find a new club and obviously the fact that Patrick Van Luren has moved to Shakhtar has meant that Zoria had a vacant spot and it was a very left field, I guess, appointment in Nenad uh, Lalatovic, a UPL legend from back in the day. I'm sure that uh, Dimitro and Ray remember him fondly. Uh, and he's got a friend of the pod, Vladan uh, Bartulovic, as his assistant there and being his translator too. As for Van Loven moving to Shakhtar, I mean, it does make sense if they won that kind of football. Well, I really don't understand in that theory that you've mentioned, Andrew, and say that Ahmedov didn't like 7-1, but when the Derby was there, the group stage campaign in the Champions League was disastrous. Mm-hmm. And the Derby, well, <laughs> he's now <laughs> showing his worth uh, at Brighton. So, and again, if you don't want to see your team getting heavily bitten, you probably wouldn't get Van Leuven as a manager. <laughs> Considering exactly, how many, so it, it really doesn't make sense to me when I hear that. But that's another funny part of Ukrainian football. All those kind of uh, theories. Apparently, maybe the style itself was something that caused the move in the end, not the result as such. Seven-one, but probably the style of play. And if we take that into consideration, then yeah, there is logic in that appointment as well. Well, well, hey, in all seriousness, Zarya finally got the Ukrainian badge. Great to see. Took their time, but at least they finally got their agents. And also they have their Puma uh, manufacturer back from the good old UPL days. And that's a good sign. I mean, they're going to look pretty neat that season. I don't know about the football pitch, though, because uh, Nenad I mean, his Wikipedia page is not kind on him. I mean, the guy swapped clubs like gloves, as we say in Ukrainian, you know, and uh, well, nothing too positive as well as uh, the Van Leeuwen uh, appointment, because that brings me back 20 years ago when Alatovic was actually a player, when Shakhtar had the kinds of Nevio Scala and Bernd Schuster. Uh, don't look at the stats that after that, Schuster was quite successful in Hetafe and joined Real Madrid. And he was a flop in Shakhtar Donetsk. But those were the times of these, you know, uh, in, like insecure of these uh, experiments with few, uh, with first foreign coaches. And now Balubin is back where he started. Remember he, that he was in charge of Shakhtar Academy for all that time. 
before becoming a sole figure as a head coach in Zoria and whatnot. So it's a step back for me. Uh, one good thing in all that shenanigans is that Martin Bartolovich is going to coach a very, very promising team. And that's a spot to be looking up to. Definitely so. Definitely and just so. to add on Lalatovic, um, good friend uh, Vadim Skitschko did a lengthy thread on Lalatovic's, uh, I guess, off-field antics or maybe on-field per se as a coach. He has had many alterations and altercations with uh, fans, lots of swearing, middle fingers, that kind of stuff. Um, there have been some drug scandals uh, and some plenty of other things going on. He got relegated with Mladost Gats, I think his last team that he was uh, in charge of last season. And as well as that, he is very apparently either close friends or an ally of um, the Serbian president, uh, Vucic, which um, is not the best. However, in his interview so far with with Zoria, he has been sort of very pro Ukrainian to say, "Oh, I love I love being here. Is I'm 100 percent for Ukraine in support of everything that's happening, and you know all that kind of stuff." So he's saying all the right things, but bear in mind um, they're still in Poland. Um, so he actually said something, you know, like "I love being here" in terms of as if he was in Ukraine, but he's not actually made. Made over the border, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens uh, once that sort of all starts uh, kicking off uh, and everything. Um, I think we're still not 100% clear where Zoria will be playing their European matches um, in the upcoming season. Same with Shakhtar, that's not yet confirmed, but still have a bit of time for both of them uh, when it comes to it, because they're going to be more later on uh, in the summer. Uh, just to add up on the Latovic thing, uh, a Serbian head coach and a Croatian assistant, that's going to be interesting. Definitely will be. It's going to be a, a watch this space on how it progresses. Well, talking about messages uh, hitting the right spot and actually being picked up by mainstream media, I couldn't believe the BBC reporting on it today. It was Dinamo Kiev's message to Fenerbahce and quite correct message, I should add, as well to Fenerbahce and to the wider football community about their despicable decision to travel to take part in a tournament in Russia. Um, you know, I'm OK if I've criticised them a lot, but this is something you feel well done. You know, back in pre-season, you know, we'll get on to that with uh, state of play at the club, but yeah. Very nice message to see, and all credit to Dinamo. Elsewhere, how's their pre-season going? Undefeated so far, scoring loads of goals. That's a bit of an upturn. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was actually surprised, and some fans didn't like that the club decided not to broadcast the friendly games. I don't remember when was the last time I actually watched a friendly game during the pre-season. But there were people who just insist on it. That we want to see. What do you want to see? You saw a whole season of that. <laughs> now you want to see more? You'll get the first game in the league very soon, actually. It's like 23 weeks before the game against Minai. They'll start the season, you'll see. And now you'll have the year for conference league to look forward to and all that stuff. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just 
first few days of the preseason training. So I don't really understand what, what they want to see, especially because we, we've got this pattern among Dynamo fans for, for years now when they just complain about the quality of these games, that it's not good enough, not good enough. And then and they want to see them again and again. And again. I, I did hear some complaints. Uh, oh, I didn't hear, I read some complaints about the fact that once highlights did start to appear across the internet, that the team they played were full of youth players and weren't old enough for Dynamo players to play against. And even when they finally got to see the highlights, they weren't very happy. It seems like they're going to play their home games in Bucharest, uh, repeat stadium. And we have about 400 kilometers from Bucharest to Odessa. So... They had the experience last season of going to Poland and going to Lviv or going to Kiev. And, well, you, you can say what you want, but it's it's the same like with those five hours that Ratan mentioned. It's not the most pleasing experience. Of course, it didn't affect directly the, the performance of, of the under-21s, but you wouldn't really want that to happen. So they, as I understand, they are trying to avoid it. So that's why Odessa was well, a perfect choice. Yeah, relationship with the fans and all that. But we still don't know if there will be any fans. There was a rumor that they might let the fans in for, for this season. But look, uh, now it is about, first of all, for getting into the group stage. Because if they don't get then there is no problem with that. They can play and give all their own games. But if they do, yeah, you have to think about it. And thinking is something that this club is really not famous for recently. Uh, the Conference League. Those qualifying rounds could be a little bit tricky this this time around. There's some strong teams and some strong teams even in the unseeded side of the draw. I think Fiorentina have dropped in there and Athletic Bilbao have also dropped into the unseeded side. So some yeah, some very dangerous matches ahead for Dynamo Kiev in those uh, qualification before we get to the group stages and Something that we're going to be watching closely on the pod, I think, over the, over the next month with the first qualifying rounds for these getting underway just in a couple of days' time. Uh, on the transfer front, I mean, well, actually, you say on the transfer front, uh, we've covered Odessa. Andrew, have you heard anything whilst you were in Bucharest about the likelihood of the games being held there? Yeah, I think it seems quite likely. Uh a lot of people have been saying it. Obviously, the Luchescu connection, he's not going anywhere for at least another season. I think he's confirmed that. Uh, and I mean, the stadium's nice. They played a few, um, Ukraine played a few matches there for the under-21s, uh, Euros. But I mean, it's going to be a similar story to what we saw in Krakow uh, last year, where not many fans, unless there's some sort of super opponents, I don't see many people turning out for it because... There was about two thousand or less <laughs> for for the Ukraine under twenty ones, and you know maybe for Dynamo it might bring out a bit more, but I, I have my doubts. On top of that, uh, you know, just in general from a transfer front, maybe the pull of uh, Andrei Yarmolenko might bring might bring some fans to the stadium in Bucharest, uh, in Odessa. If we've got fans open there, who knows? Um, he's back, he's scored uh, in his first two games back, unofficial of course 
in an eight nil win and in a nine nil win, um, Dynamo prepping for Manai perfectly, I guess. And um, there are a few players that are on their way out, as far as I'm aware. I think Justin Lonvike doesn't want to come back to Dynamo at all because of, you know, concerns for his family due to the war and everything that's happening. Uh, he's being connected or linked with moves to uh, Anderlecht. Uh, I've heard that also Copenhagen and his former team, uh, Viborg, are all interested in him. But we'll see what happens. I think that will more be a loan than an actual transfer away. But he seems sort of adamant that he doesn't want to come back. Albeit Ramadani was similarly uh, given or claimed that had that same thing, but he's already training with the team in pre-season in Austria. So we'll see. And I think another one who wants a, a move away regarding to the war, but also the fact that he's not really a starter, Eric Ramirez, another sort of traditional number nine that, you know, it's never really hit the ground at Dynamo Kiev. Uh, shame to see, shame to see any rumours on incomings or is it all quiet on that front? Yeah, not nothing yet. And I mean, the same as last season, the budget's not particularly high. Uh, we've heard a lot of rumours that some players have had their wages or have been offered, have been asked to have their wages reduced. And some players have accepted it, some haven't. I think Alexander Karavayev is staying despite rumours that he might be leaving. I think he might be signing a new contract and remaining there. Um, Boyalski as well, for the time being, I think is staying. Uh, Dennis Haramash has been dropped to the under-19s or something because apparently he didn't want to take a, a pay cut. So that might be an end of an era. And of course, the legend, uh, Artem Besedin, has been released. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he's gone to Kazakhstan. Uh, or Dabati, and he's linking up with uh, Yevhen Makarenko over there. So, it's, yeah, it's been an absolutely crazy. Like, I think, well, the window's been open, what, two weeks or whatever, and it's absolutely just been crazy with sort of these end-of-era transfers or comebacks, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure that we'll see plenty more changes before the start of the UPL campaign and before the window closes at the end of August as well. So don't bother strapping your seatbelts in just yet because it's, you know... It's it still could be all change everywhere. And I mean, that's the same for plenty of other teams that we're about to touch on. I was going to say, I was going to say that the Nipro one, they've made a few moves already. How, how are they looking? And any rumours, any more rumours about Dovbik where he could be plying his trade? I don't think so. I think Dovbik for the time being, until the end of the European qualifiers per se I think he'll be staying there I think he's prepping for the new season and I think they're just going to see where they end up and then end up make trying to make some money from there they've made some all right signings so far as far as I'm aware it looks like Dnipro 1 are focusing on a Ukrainian vector because of the amount of issues they had last year with foreign players not wanting to go to away games I think they're just like there's no point in having foreigners if, we can, if we've got half a squad for most match days. So literally, I think a few have remained like that. Peglo is currently training with the squad, but he might be on his way out somewhere. Matarita, the Costa Rican guy, he left for Aris in uh, Greece. Um, but on the whole, they've brought in experienced, high-quality UPL players, in my opinion. Denis Miroshnichenko, 
Uh, he has arrived from Alexandria. Maxim Tretyakov is going to be joining imminently, um, sort of for, to bulk up the wing positions. The other side, Vasil Kravets has come from Vorskla. You know, mm. player high caliber, been playing in Spain obviously for the past number of years. Had had a decent season at Vorskla as well. So I'm sure that they'll probably make a few more similar ones. Uh, mentioned Nazarenko earlier in the under 21s. He's going to Policia, so I think they'll probably be looking uh, for a replacement for him at some point. I was about to say Policia have done a bit of a, a absolutely dash, haven't they? Insane. Took everything in the bargain aisle. Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, this weekend, signing someone from Montpellier, um, Makuna, who, as far as I'm aware, hasn't had the highest of praise uh, from Montpellier fans. Uh, <laughs> he had, he made a number. He's made a number of appearances in Liga. None, I think, starts for the majority. But you know, he's played a, played a decent amount of uh, games off the bench, and you know, 31 appearances for age 20 isn't too bad. And I mean, then they've also bulked up with the likes of Dennis Boyko, you know, probably be their starting goalkeeper. Um, uh, Nikita Kravchenko, Nikita Kravchenko's arrived from uh, Dynamo Kiev on loan. Chopotenko, obviously been playing quite well over the past few years for numerous UPL sides. Um, in general, they look ready. I think they're certainly going to challenge <laughs> for um, for the... I don't know, European spots per se, maybe top six. Uh, and then we'll see how it goes from there. Potential this year's preview rig, per se. Um, but none of them have uh, pushed Carpati in the transfer announcement stakes, have they, over the, over the last few weeks? Was it 15, 16 players they, they announced coming in in one day? I mean, would have been there for hours. Eating and greeting all of those and getting the contracts signed. Why 16, Andrew? Well, they've had a lot of exits. Obviously, Miral Mankevich has come in, and there seems to be some sort of co working vector with his old club, Metalist, because obviously mm. he's, uh, you know, he's got quite close connections with Krasnikov, probably still, and uh, Metalist have to offload uh, a load of. Their senior players so, and plenty of others. There's a load of players from like Kremin that have arrived. Uh, centre forward called Ihor, who thinks like some sort of a South American. And in general, they look to be good value for the favourites <laughs> to dominate the league and uh, take it take it from there. So it'll be it'll be a, certainly an interesting Persliha um, season, I'm sure. Definitely will be. I mean, UPL's back. Three weekends time from uh, our time of recording. That's going to be great to see. How how have Babylon been going these last two weeks with the transfer market being open? Not as fruitful as Andrew's been describing. But talking about the Obolon thing, while I was saying all that, Alessandro Ripka, the legendary goalkeeper who actually was present during the most successful Obolon season in history in 2010-2011 when they beat Shakhtar in Dynamo, he was, he is coming back from Metalist, and he was the part of the 2006 uh, squad of under 21. So that's a that's a story. That's a full circle right there for you. And he's one of the few guys. He's he's had a he's had quite a career. First time we've heard about him, he was uh, getting a uh, brain concussion from Sergio Ramos in Champions League. 
there you go. That was the start. But anyway, uh, not much to say about Obolon. Uh, we'll be discussing more of that later. All I want to say is that we have to uh, be on the lookout for the future of youth players. And all these transfers from uh, Montpellier and the, the likes of it, all these scouting wars, all the Krasnikov being mentioned in context of Markevich again, not a good sign. But we know it's going to work out in the end. Definitely will. Definitely will. Um, you know, as an aside, Ellen's Ed certainly made some impressive early moves into the market. Carlos had in some pedigree there as well. We can only hope that the youth continue to get a chance. And as you said there, Ray, quite rightly, some of the early signs haven't been as positive, but we must keep the faith. That brings us to the end of the show tonight, ladies and gents. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Dimitra, it's been great to have you with us this evening. Uh, what are you going to be up to over the next few weeks in the run-up to the start of the new season? Well, I wanted to start laughing when you said that that's a quiet month and there is no football. I can roll out a huge list of tournaments that are being played <laughs> right now. So there's plenty of football to watch if you want to, of course. And, uh, well, the European competitions are on. We had our first three games in the Champions League. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I can tell you that these are much more interesting than some of the games in the group stages. <laughs> And there will be plenty of proper qualifiers in the next few days. And then, of course, Ukrainian class will join in and uh, there are other tournaments. And actually, the European club season started with the Super Cup in Romania. So it's on. Like next week, it's Croatia. Then it's Denmark, Croatian League and all, all those leagues that usually kick off in the middle of July. Yeah, so no rest. No rest in the footballing world. I should know we were back in training just what, a week and a half ago already as well. So, uh, And we do have a team from Ireland visiting Luxembourg in a couple of days' time as well. Well, that's it for today, everyone. We will be back, as we, Andrew said earlier, it's going to be a crazy summer for Ukrainian football. Got lots of transfers, lots of action, and we will be keeping you updated with it through the pod and elsewhere. But till next time, everybody, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now.